0: Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Coming up this week... In Babylon, ancient Mesopotamia, beer was sort of a way to store the calories from bread, excess bread. You could, um, if it wasn't eaten, you, you don't want to lose those calories. Uh, so one way to do it is to turn it into to beer.
0: Yes, we had a chat with Andrew Shine this week, one of the guys running a company making beer from waste bread. Stay tuned. Yeah, hello, welcome back. This is episode 33 of The Better Business Show. Thanks for tuning in, coming back to us. I hope you're well and enjoying the summer. And uh, yeah, if you've been away, hope you're slowly getting back into the swing of things, uh, back at the office, back at the uh, the site, wherever you happen to be. Um, So yes, we're in the company of Toast Ale this week, uh, a company you might have... Stumbled across, they seem to have done a good job in, in grabbing some media, uh, which will come as no surprise given the fact that the team behind the business is a, a sort of campaigning group uh, whose very existence you know, demands that they get in the face of the media. So we're going to explore their story, so stay tuned for that. A couple of announcements before we, we kick off this week. First, uh, do check out The Better Business Show uh, t-shirt shop. Uh, We launched an online t-shirt business after episode 30 aired. Uh, In case you've missed this, in case you've been away and missed that episode, uh, we were all very giddy with excitement after hearing the story of Rapa Nui, uh, which was the t-shirt business we featured in episode 30, doing loads of cool things in terms of using organic cotton, uh, green energy, mapping its supply chain to make it super ethical. Um, and then it took the decision to launch a white label service so that other organizations could take advantage and tap into their ethical supply chain uh, by selling their own T-shirts that use Rapa Nui's factory and supply base. So we did it. We did exactly that. Exactly that. We, we launched the Better Business Show T-shirt shop. Uh, which is now live and we've designed a range of t-shirts all emblazoned with fairly famous quotes from the great and good from the environmental movement people like jonathan porritt and nick stern naomi klein james lovelock Um, there's loads of loads of different designs on there i'm sure you'll find something you like Uh, so our website is betterbusinessshow.tmill that's t-e-e-mill.co.uk if you're interested in that check it out Second thing I wanted to say before we start, uh, we're going to be doing something a bit different during October on the show. We're going to be very much welcoming uh, our very first sponsor onto the show. Uh, I won't say who it is yet, but suffice to say that this particular organization wants to use our platform to tell their story, which is exactly what we're gonna be doing. So we're currently in the throes of designing uh, those those pieces of content and planning out how, and, and how that will play out. Um, and we'll be doing it in a way that that doesn't get in the way of the narrative of the show. So we'll be doing what we always do, which is you know telling great stories to inspire, influence uh, you, our lovely audience, to to you know grab new ideas to take back to your own your own businesses and organizations, uh, or or to inspire your own startups. Uh, I know a number of you have, uh, are running startups out there, uh, and and really you know we're proving that sustainable business models uh, and products and concepts do actually work. Um, And we'll be just weaving uh, our commercial supporters into that weekly storytelling. Uh, The the reason I mention this right now is that we're we're looking for other commercial partners to join us. Uh, to use The Better Business Show as, as part of your core storytelling and and to support the show. As you'll know, if you're a regular podcast fan or listener, it is notoriously difficult to sustain this medium. It's not something that we can ask subscription money for. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so we've been toying with various ideas about how we make the uh, The Better Business Show commercially sustainable so that we can continue to bring you these stories each and every week. Um, so we've designed a partnership package uh, to help you use the, the powerful medium of audio podcasts to to tell your story uh, using our vehicle. And we sincerely invite you to join us Do you know in doing that. So if you fancy it, get in touch. We'd love you to be part of the show in the future. Uh, my email is tom.idle@narrativematters.co.uk, at narrativematters.co.uk or you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. So yeah, just give me a shout, but we'd love to have you join us. Okay, before we jump into today's story with Toast Ale, let's catch up with a few snippets of news and developments from across the world of Better Business, and find out who's doing what and why. With Vicky Knowles, Vix, thanks for being there. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm very well, very very well indeed. Uh, very hot. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm in the sweatbox, my little are office. You? Yeah. Oh, no. oh. Do you have a it's, fan uh, in there? No, no fan. I've got the window shut because otherwise it's too noisy. I'm right by the main road. And, uh, yeah, so it's very hot. What about you? you suffering?
2: Actually, no. It's, it's pretty chill here. But um, by the time this goes out, I mean, it might be raining on Monday. And people are like, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, <laughs> you're giving the game away. We're recording this on a Friday. And yeah. And we, we, we always try to make out that we're recording on a Monday, don't we?
2: I know. we try. It depends what's going on. But to, I think today we can admit... But it is actually a Friday that we're recording this. It's because it's the fun bit. You have to record it on a fun day.
0: This is true. Yeah. So <laughs> go on. What 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 we got for us this week?
2: Okay. Cool. So um, this is a pretty cool story. Um, imagine hailing a taxi on your smartphone, kind of like Uber, but this taxi flies and has no driver. Well, <laughs> this is what the future holds. Uh, at least for Airbus. Um, they're working on these little kind of drone things. So customers book a seat through their smartphone app, then they pop along to their closest helipad and get whisked away to their destination. Well, that's the idea anyway. Um, So there's two kind of concepts. Vahana, which is for like an individual passenger or cargo transport, and then city bus for several passengers to share the aircraft, making it a bit more affordable. And then the idea, of course, is the dream that we all have sometimes, which is to fly over traffic jams instead of being stuck in them. 60% 60% of the world's population are set to live in cities by 2030, which is 10% more than today. Um, so real-world prototype testing is slated for Vahana by the end of 2017, so not that far away. And apparently much of the tech, like the batteries, motors, and other bits are most of the way there, but it just needs reliable sense-and-avoid tech, right. which is one of the bigger challenges. Um, and in as little as a decade, Airbus believes that these sorts of products could be revolutionizing urban travel for millions of people
0: it's amazing isn't it i i, I often think about this stuff and imagine working on some of these projects flying yeah. taxis um so oh, when, when's it going to happen though i can see it's like in our 80s and you've got all these taxis flying around it's just so cool isn't it yeah. <laughs> um, God, I mean, is that so? Is 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 it drone technology that they're thinking of using, but scaled yeah. up to actually accommodate people?
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, Amazing.
2: I think people have wanted to do this for a while. It's just getting the tech. You know, that they they said, um, you know, imagine arriving to like a international airport. You get there, you know, like how you'd normally get a taxi, but um, instead of spending like half an hour getting to the city center, you you get on this little kind of drone plane thing and oh there's like three other people booked to go to the same place so they all get on the same one as you like it just sounds so like oh yeah you know this will just be normal in a yeah. few years <laughs> yeah,
0: it's amazing and we got you know we got drones i guess on the on the cusp of disrupting supply chain logistics um we had a, a company on on the show didn't we a few months back mobisol who were you know Playing around with using drones to deliver solar technology into, into sort of remote parts of Africa—brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, but this is yeah. something else. I mean, what's the bet that you've got? You know, someone like Uber. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that some of these companies are thinking about this stuff already. Um, yeah. To be to be the first to run a sort of an Airbus taxi service—very uh, very exciting. Um, yeah. Cool. So from me this week. Um, this one for you actually Vix so I know you love your your Kickstarter projects don't you I um, okay. and there's a new non-profit called uh, Cool Effect and it's founded by a, a couple uh, I think they're uh, brother and sister Dee and Richard Lawrence it's basically a collection of, of projects that need funding, so much like you know Crowdcube or Kickstarter or any of the others. Um, but the difference is that, that, this, that this one is uh, only looking at uh, to, you know, to fund projects that um, uh, allow people to buy carbon credits and offset their personal emissions by helping to to fund projects and initiatives which are guaranteed to have the desired effect, i.e. reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, It's being touted as a first of its kind, best of breed carbon cutting solution to climate change. It's said to be a curated group of the world's best carbon dioxide reducing projects that are subject to an extensive review process before they can be included in the list. Uh, so each project has to be approved by third-party standards like the Gold Standard or or Verified Carbon Standard. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting kind of collection of projects that you, you can sort of browse through and uh, and know that your money is going to be spent in the right way. What do you what do you think of uh, this Cool Effect?
2: Definitely really cool. <laughs> um, I love that they have such a high bar. Like I, I think it said somewhere that it's really difficult to actually get your project on there because it's such they got such high standards. And, So you can really trust what you're investing in. And uh, $200, I think they said, um, if you put that in, it's like removing your negative impact. Like if you're an American and you use, what was it, 12 tons of carbon dioxide a year or something, carbon emissions, sorry. Um, Of course, it'd be better to reduce your impact rather than living, you know, crazily and just throwing money at it. But I think it's great. And that trust aspect is such a good thing because... It, it's, it seems like a carbon offsetting. It's kind of, I don't know if people feel a bit sort of strange about it. Like, you know, is that really the right thing to do sort of thing?
0: Well, I mean, you had it, didn't you, about five or six years ago. Lots of companies, whether it was a hotel group or, a you know, when you book your flight, there was the option of, you know, ticking a box that, that meant you'd offset your emissions and you'd pay a little bit extra. Um, and, you know, it was all a bit sketchy and lots of people were quite, quite skeptical about it. Um and yeah, I mean this is exactly what this is trying to trying to resolve. It's kinda of saying, Look, you know, we've rubber stamped these projects. We know that they're they're doing what they say they're gonna do, um, and you can pump your money and support these projects you know you're gonna be trying to save the planet. So you say two hundred dollars, is that a year to, to kind of offset your personal emissions?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it said in the article, from what uh, I remember. Yeah. Which seems pretty cheap, doesn't it, to be honest.
0: It does. It does. I mean, up.
2: I don't know what the um, conversion rate is these days. <laughs> I, th- I know the pounds <laughs> dropped a bit, but it's not you what, like 150 pounds?
0: Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, cool. So, what else? What else is going on?
2: What else have we got? So, um, you've probably heard of these things. Um, there's a great article on the Guardian about the Library of Things, which has just launched in London. Um, so you might have seen like tool libraries. So you know you you, you go in and you you pay either a, a sort of a cheap membership or on a product by product basis you pay a couple of quid and you can borrow like a power tool which normally just sits at the back of our sheds and gets. I think it's something like the the average use is like nine minutes a year or some, some crazy statistic. Um, but anyway, this particular library of things um, has all sorts of things like kitchen equipment to camping and even wetsuits. Um, I actually interviewed these guys ages ago. It must have been like last year when they're still working on it. But they launched last month and they've got 150 members so far. So membership is free and then it's a couple of quid to borrow an item, say £2 for a garden fork or £4 for a bread maker. Or if you consider the scenario that this Guardian article points out, if you need your carpet cleaned, you could buy a carpet cleaning machine for about £130 or you could pay for a professional cleaner to do it. So that's about £40 or you could rent a machine from the private hire firm for about £29 for the weekend or you could just pop down to your library of things and borrow one for £9. Um, so they launched a successful Kickstarter campaign to cover their startup costs and they've got £1,000 worth of stock donated by B&Q while Berghaus and Patagonia gave them things like backpacks and trucks travel duffel bags. Um, and there's also a library of things in places like Froome in the UK, Berlin, and there's quite a few in North America. So pretty cool. It seems to be catching on.
0: I love it. There's a few popping up, as you say. Um, I spent some time with one of my new clients this week, a big uh, FMCG uh, company, and we were talking a lot about the circular economy, uh, some, you know, subject we've, we've touched on a lot in during the during the course of these weeks, doing these podcasts. Um, but, we, you know, you look at the, the roles of the different players in in you know, the design, in the manufacturing, in, in rethinking packaging systems, new business models, uh, and there's a lot of intent there from, from companies and lots of kind of interesting activity going on, but it's a, it's a really tough one for companies to crack. And then you look at the consumers, which is what the Library of Things is really for, crucially important. You know, you could argue that it has the most potential in terms of the circular economy. If the circular economy is all about making sure that things, materials are kept, you know, in circulation for as long as possible, then getting people to kind of hire stuff, reuse stuff, repair stuff is going to be the absolute answer. Um, Mm. So I love love this. But of course, that, that concept doesn't sit very comfortably, you know, for companies that are trying to sell lots of stuff. Um, you think of like fast fashion or, or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a really tough one. Uh, but I love I love the library of things. Sounds absolutely awesome. I can see a number of these popping up all over the place soon.
2: Yeah, I hope we have one near us as well. It'll
0: be awesome. Yeah. Definitely use it. It's funny. I remember interviewing um, Ian Cheshire, the former CEO of, of uh, Kingfisher, which obviously owns B&Q and uh, all the other sort of European uh, decorating DIY stores. And they had, the, they had this exact same idea. Do you remember this? They were going to call it Street Club. Um, oh, and basically, yeah, and basically, B, B&Q were going to run an online community where people could borrow tools from one another rather than buying them. And a good example is, say, like, you, know, say you want to lay a new floor in your house and you, you probably, you know, the one thing that's going to put you off is not having the right tools to do it. And so you you go out to B and Q. You could buy the materials to, to obviously lay the floor, but if you wanted to actually buy all the tools to lay the floor, you're probably going to double your costs. But the problem is you won't ever use those tools again probably, yeah. because you're not you're not going to run you know you're not going to lay a floor every year. And so the idea that B and Q had was that if they could run this service where you could almost like get your tools for for free or you know really low cost hire, then you're much more likely to go and buy. The materials to do it so it kind of mm-hmm. removes that barrier for people that that haven't really got the skills to do it or don't have the tools and all the rest of it and it's part of this kind of wider conversation about the fact that kids today don't have the same diy skills as their parents and it's kind of yeah. like die, dying out basically you know people are just not bothered about diy um but yeah it's interesting so that, so being you know kingfisher had the idea but they obviously they couldn't square it i guess with with senior management because you know it it would it would have taken away an element of their business and their model would have had to change but it was a good example of Ian Cheshire being this kind of visionary CEO and then the rest of the business not really being prepared to kind of you know follow up and and, you know follow up on that vision I guess. Wow Um,
2: yeah that's it sounds like a brilliant I I don't I didn't remember reading this though yeah I think that sounds just so interesting.
0: it's, it's, they didn't really talk about it much. They, it was an idea by from in Cheshire, and I think I remember seeing him at an event mentioning it, and then I interviewed him as a follow-up a few months later, and he was still talking about it. And then it was something I then went back to them and started talking about again with Richard Gillies and other people there, and they kind of went cold on the whole idea, and they parked it. And obviously they've got a new CEO now, and I don't think they'll, they'll ever revive it. And it, But the Library of Things is a, is a great, because it's, it's about community and... Yeah. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's not for, for corporates to go down that route. But it would have been really interesting for, for, for Kingfisher to, to think about their model and, and try new things. Um, yep. Yeah, app. it was really interesting. So to finish up this week, there's um, a great new app that's been launched. And it's something that fits very nicely alongside uh, today's guest business, which is Toast Ale, um, which you're going to hear from very shortly. All the great things that they're doing t- to tackle food waste. So there's an app that's called uh, Too Good To Go. Which allows users to order food from local restaurants that would otherwise have been thrown away, and they get that food at a heavily discounted rate, so you basically you, you can use this app, you choose from a selection of restaurants like just like you do with um, a number of these kind of takeaway apps that that you get uh, you pay through the app uh, you have to go and pick up the meal from the restaurant and um, and usually you 'll have to pick it up at, at you know different times after peak eating times, I guess when they 're closed when they 're when they they know that the food's not going to be used, but you can basically get some good good meals between two pounds and three pounds eighty uh, you're not able to choose the exact meal basically you have to rock up and see what they've got um, but it's a really i mean, it's not it's not a new concept I think there's been similar, similar apps being used in the u s for a while now but it's the first time we've seen anything like this in the uk uh, It's definitely coming to London at the moment it's in Brighton, Birmingham and Manchester and Leeds um, but I just thought it was yeah a really interesting kind of uh, app app development this
2: it's it's so cool and I downloaded it as soon as I heard about it and then I was gutted to see that my nearest pickup point was 120 kilometers away <laughs> and then I read oh it's, it's not in the area yet <laughs> um yeah as you say I suppose the only trouble is like for example I'm a vegetarian so if I wanted to rock up and and get what they've got they might it might be like a meat dish and then I'd be like oh what do I do with this um so and if you've got like you know, if you've got a gluten allergy or something like that, then. But if you're someone who can just eat anything, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you want a, a cheap Friday night meal, then uh, yeah. this is the, this is the app for you. Exactly. Um, yeah, cool, Vix. Um, lovely for you to join us, and uh, and we'll do it all again next week. Actually, next week I'm, I'm in Bristol, so I'm coming to see you. Oh
2: yeah, And, yeah. and,
0: we, and we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it live, not live, but we're going to do it together <laughs> rather than on <laughs> Skype. It. In person. Uh, yeah, so looking forward to uh, to seeing you then. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.
2: Cool. Yeah, see you then.
0: Now, you're about to hear my conversation with Andrew Shine, one of the guys running Toast Ale. And we explore a whole range of food waste issues during our chat, not least the amount of bread that gets wasted. Uh, around 25% of each loaf that's made uh, actually is get, you know, gets thrown away. Um, it's something the business is trying to tackle, grabbing surplus bread that would normally be thrown away, toasting it, and then using it as one of the key ingredients in its brewing process to make great-tasting ale. It's a, it's a great story, uh, I'm sure you'll you'll agree, and the company is going from strength to strength. Um, but Toast Ale's story raised an interesting question for me, uh, I think for Andrew as well, and maybe for you too listening in. As with a number of the organisations featured on the show previously, you know companies like Hubbub. Um, who we had on a few weeks ago, um, companies like Fairphone. Many of these start out as campaigning charities or non-profits, but at some point they have become commercial entities. Uh, And as you will hear, Andrew is fairly philosophical about that transition, that the separation they've created between the enterprise that founded Toast, um, a campaign group called Feedback, who I'm sure many of you will be familiar with, uh, and the actual business gives them a clearly defined path to growth. Of course, we've we've talked lots about how companies are increasingly thinking about why they exist, their purpose, their mission, the need to move beyond existing purely to keep shareholders happy. But what if you exist in part to provide funds for sustaining a charitable enterprise? It's a really interesting concept and it certainly left me with some food for thought. As ever, let me know what you think of Toast Ale and what they're trying to do. Anyway, here's the conversation with Andrew. Andrew, lovely to, to have you join us on the Better Business Show. Um, how's things?
1: Yeah, we're really good today. Have, have a good morning. No beer yet, but had a good breakfast so far.
0: <laughs> good, good. And it seems unfair that you know, we couldn't have our chat face-to-face with most of our guests. I'm quite happy to jump on Skype. Uh, to have a conversation, but it would have been great to meet you in person, Andrew. If only to get a, a sample of your products, uh, beer, something close to my heart. Clearly, something close to yours. Why don't we start with you explaining the kind of the end product, and we can kind of work out from there. Obviously, there's plenty to your story, but but what is it that you've created, and what does toast ale taste like?
1: Toast ale is a beer. Right now, we're mostly making kale ales, although we've recently had a collaboration where we made a much wackier ale, which we can talk later. About, um, but mostly our core product is a pale ale, so we use some pale ale malt, but we replace some of that malt with uh, bread, bread that would have otherwise gone to waste. So it's rescued fresh bread, and um, basically, instead of the grain bill being 100% barley, it's say 66% barley, but a third bread, a third of this rescued bread. Okay, uh, and what does that do to the taste profile? The, the taste is a little bit malty um, already from the malt, but there's something there's some caramel flavors that we think that the bread brings. Toast ale, we've worked with a few different breweries, has always tasted quite caramelly. Right. I don't think it really tastes bready. Sometimes people talk about beer, you know, even if it doesn't have bread in it, as tasting bready. And I don't actually think toast ale tastes bready. I, I would say that it tastes malty and, and caramelly. Um, and it's quite smooth okay and this is
0: is this an old recipe I mean are people using bread in this way to to make ale have they been doing this for a long time
1: the short answer is yes in fact in Babylon um, so ancient Mesopotamia beer was sort of a way to store the calories from bread excess bread you could um, if it wasn't eaten, you you don't want to lose those calories. Uh, so one way to do it is to turn it into to beer, and that's what the Babylonians did. They they turned excess bread into beer. So this is actually a really sort of ancient strategy, both to manage food waste and to create good tasting beer.
0: Okay, I, I suspect that the Babylonians weren't necessarily thinking about food, but ba- food waste. But this is at the heart of your of your story. Uh, waste bread. I mean. Why, why is there so much waste bread? I mean, you take fresh surplus loaves, don't you, and, and use it for the, for the recipe. Why, why is so much bread being made that's not being sold?
1: Bread and waste bread is kind of a, a good symbol of food waste writ large because bread waste is a problem both in food manufacturing and retail and in homes. So bread is uh, widely wasted in consumers homes. You know, if you don't finish a loaf, people don't know that you can freeze bread and then when you toast it, it tastes just as good. The bread that we get though is actually from manufacturers. So it's this crazy thing where uh, sandwich manufacturers and you know, the UK is, is mad for sandwiches. Sandwich manufacturers don't like to use the ends of their loaves and they actually often don't use one slice in from the end because it's still a little smaller than the other slices. So a good, say, 20 to 25 percent of the loaf ends up not being used. And that's, that's b- been what we've used in our beer is these ends of loaves. And they're completely fresh. They're completely delicious. It's just that because they're a slightly different size than the other slices, they otherwise wouldn't be used.
0: OK, OK. So, you, so the process is you, you go around sandwich shops, do you, and, cl- and collect up these kind of ends of loaves? Is that how it works?
1: That was our first batch, was working with specific sandwich shops. And as we've scaled up, we've started working with the, the manufacturers of the sandwiches themselves. So these are our big operations making sandwiches that they distribute across you know their city
0: okay okay and so usually the ends of these loaves what what would happen to them they're just just chucks in the bin
1: well often they'll uh use them for um you know they'll be collected as part of uh municipalities food waste collection so necessarily going into landfill which is good they might be going to industrial composting or this thing called anaerobic digestion where you can get a little bit of energy out of it but our core message is that even when you're doing something good like diverting it from landfill for, say, compost or to create some energy, the amount of energy or compost you get back is so small compared to what you had to put in to grow the wheat and then turn it into bread. It's much better to, in some way, keep it in the food supply chain. And, and so that's what we're trying to do.
0: So your message is actually you should be just eating this stuff rather than doing anything else with it, food waste bin or, or not.
1: Exactly. The, the, highest, uh, the highest priority Food surplus management strategy is definitely to find some delicious way to eat the food.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are you <laughs> getting your feedstock, i.e., the you know the, the waste bread, uh, for free? You know, are you just yeah? Just...
1: The, the the people we've worked with have been really really generous in that way. Not only have we gotten the bread for free, but they've often helped with logistics, tacked the bread delivery onto their regular delivery runs, which is okay. so much as a small, you, you know, nimble business as you described us before we got on the air. That's been so helpful for us to have a little bit of that logistics help, where you know we need the bread at the brewery. The brewery, you know, is not in the same place as the sandwich maker. The sandwich maker's been able to help us with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not making any of the, the ales yourselves as as an entity, are you? you, you you're working with a, a brewery, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, okay. And so how did how did you kind of come across the brewery that you're make, you're you're working with? What are they called they're called Hambleside, was it? Hamiltons. Oh, Hamilton's, okay, and they're based up in Yorkshire.
1: Great brewery in Yorkshire. So um, what were you looking
0: for in a partner there?
1: It's one of the uh, – a variety of brewers that we've worked with already, despite being um, small and new. We worked with a small brewery in Hackney uh, called the Hackney Brewery. They're, they're just a straight craft brewery. Uh, we've worked with Hamilton's. We recently collaborated with Wiper & True. Um, we've done other collaborations with brew houses in Bristol and also in London. Uh, Hamilton's making our core pale ale products – and it's just some combination of they were excited about the idea of doing something new and, and you know, and experimenting with us and going on our journey of, you know, innovation. Um, they also had the knowledge, the know-how, and also the ability in space.
0: Yeah, yeah. And as, as you say, you are really new, aren't you? I mean, you've, you've been going, what, just a, f- a few months now?
1: It, yeah, we've been operational since January. So it's, you know two-thirds of a year type of thing
0: yeah 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 yeah. and so so where where can where can our listeners get a taste of, of toast ale where, where are you being stocked right now
1: so yeah you can actually find that on toastale.com slash stockists We have like a, a growing list um, of stores bottle shops, restaurants bars where you can get um, toast ale a lot of them are, are based in London but there are some even outside of London
0: yeah yeah yeah, and I, i'm, I'm I mean, the naivety in me suggests that maybe this is the easiest part to find a stockist that you know that, that likes to look at your products and i mean they're very smartly labeled and, and it's a great story to tell i mean what are the other what are the the hardest parts about running this business right now
1: the, we're doing some recipe development so that's both fun and difficult we're just trying to figure out how much of the barley we can replace with bread for example and what we need to do to the bread does is it okay to just throw in the slices for reasons that are related to the brewing part you know um, it's possible that we need to make the bread smaller so that the enzymes can access it easier um, so maybe slices are too big, so that's one sort of um, issue that we're confronting, and then the other is probably as with almost any business like ours that's making something, mm. it's just the issue of trying to balance the need to have stock for all your stockists but not have so much stock that you're just sitting on stock that isn't being sold or, or um or bought by anyone so it's just you know projecting demand and then trying to make sure that we have the supply to meet that
0: yeah 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 and and what sort of feedback are you getting for, from from customers i mean the end customer i guess the the people that are actually tasting the beer what, what, what sort of feedback are you getting
1: People are really excited about drinking a beer that is also, you know, helping to, you know, unscrew the planet. Basically, you know, we people are concerned about environmental impacts and food waste and reducing food waste is such a no regrets. So, you know, um, obvious way that we can reduce our environmental impact, but then the beer tastes really good. So that's really exciting to people. It's It's like, not only is it easy, but it's also delicious to, you know, um, do something that h- helps the environment. So yeah. people are excited about that. I think people are always um, always describe the beer taste wise as smooth. Um, right. People are really, really, they th- they, th- they think the beer is really like uh, drinkable, like sessionable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know. I, I don't whether you know I dare ask this next question, and I think you'll appreciate where I'm coming from with it, but I, I, you know I, I wanted to know whether Toast Ow is a proper business or whether this is just a campaign, and the reason I ask that is that, you know I know not a lot of the, you know the work of your your founder Tristram uh, and I, I, am I right in saying that most of the the Toast ale team is from a kind of campaigning background uh, rather than a purely commercial background i mean uh, what, what what are you trying to achieve with this this entity
1: Yeah that's an interesting. Sort of question to ask. I certainly am from Feedback, so Tristram's food, the, the food waste campaigning organization that Tristram founded, and I've sort of been seconded onto Toast. Um, right, right. And the, our, the woman who's been managing the development of Toast, Julie, she definitely comes from a commercial background. And the idea is that Toast will be so successful uh, that it will be this bulwark funding wise for Feedback. So we really okay. do see it as a as a proper business the end is to have all of the profits go towards fighting food waste so in that way it's a little different from your average you know just purely for profit business it's for purpose rather than profit but in that purpose does definitely involve making it a business that not only washes its face but also has profits that can be diverted into these good causes
0: so we're really trying to scale up Gotcha. And, and tell us briefly about Feedback. I mean, if people don't know Feedback, they'll probably know one of the campaigns that, or, or events that you've run. I think you're, you're the guys behind Feeding the 5000 uh, events. Well, I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with you. You've done them all over the world. But it, yeah, tell us about Feedback briefly.
1: Feedback is sort of the mother of various campaigns. And we all work in one office. is really good because it's different campaigning teams but we all kind of feed into each other and give each other ideas. So Feeding the 5,000, as you say, is the most well-known. It's kind of the flagship campaign, where we make feasts for 5,000 people um, using food that otherwise would have been thrown away, trying to catalyze movements wherever we have those feasts. So it's not just about the impact factor, but it's also about creating these long-lasting partnerships between the people that we work with in whichever city or region we're putting on the feast. We also have some other campaigns, including we have an investigative team, we call, we call it Stop Dumping, that looks at the relationship between supermarkets and farmers, both in England and abroad. We also have a gleaning network, so we have a whole network of volunteers, over 2,000 volunteers across England, who go onto farms, who work with us. The farms, for whatever reason, have surplus crops, maybe it wasn't pretty enough, maybe it wasn't the right size, maybe the supermarket has cancelled the order. So we. Sort of harvest that crop for the, for them, and then distribute it to uh, organizations like Fair Share that redistribute right. that food to people who need it. So various campaigns and sort of um, other enterprises sitting within Feedback. The idea behind Feedback is to end global food waste.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love I love some some of the work that you, you've been doing. With, with Feedback. I mean, you know, just just knowing where Toast Ale has come from, and the fact that you've been looking at a whole bunch of different kind of issues around food waste, just as you've developed a beer, I guess, you know, you could have developed all, all number of products. I mean, what else was on the table, if anything? Or was or was that's beer always the, the thing you
1: were going to go for? No, that's a really great question. We at Feedback, and then Trisham also in his personal capacity, and as part of Feedback, have worked with a lot of What we call food surplus entrepreneurs it's actually such an exciting and dense space in this sort of social enterprise space that you're really interested in there's uh rubies in the rubble is a very well-known food surplus entrepreneurial enterprise they make chutneys like really delicious chutneys out of um fruit and veg that would have otherwise gone to waste sometimes provided by the gleaning team at feedback and there's another kind of similar company called snacks that makes fruit leathers. What Tristram and uh, Feedbacks Managing Director Nikki were in Belgium, and they visited a really amazing brewery there called the Brussels Beer Project. And the Brussels Beer Project was making beer that was using, you know, fresh surplus rescued bread as part of its grain bill. And that's when Tristram and Nikki got really excited. Beer is something with a really large market. Bread is something with it's there's so much surplus bread, so it's readily accessible. And what's really cool about beer is it's, it's stable, so you don't need to sell it immediately. There's, there's a lot of food surplus entrepreneurship that, that isn't you know, as easy um, from a logistical point of view because you're making smoothies or something that needs to be sold that day or the next day, or et cetera. But beer seemed like logistically we could pull it off. Yeah. So th- and that combination of the big market, exciting, you know, readily accessible food surplus, and the fact that logistically it seemed manageable uh, that's when Tristan decided we should just take the plunge.
0: Yeah, yeah, and as you say, that you know the market for for craft beer right now is absolutely booming uh, across Europe, across the states as well. So it's um yeah, it's it's very exciting times. And we, we've had a number of guests on the show that have combined kind of business and environmental or social campaigning. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, True and Restric from Hubbub. Uh, You know, organization that began solely as a campaigning act, sort of charity, but has now launched a social enterprise. Uh, We had Fairphone, I'm I'm sure you know, which started very much as a kind of, you know, banging the drum, kind of making sure that manufacturers were more transparent. And, uh, you know, it's now very much entered into the market developing its own mobile uh, phones. And I I just wonder what the potential pitfalls or or hazards there are for organizations like yours that, that, you know, do not necessarily not necessarily start life with with the economics front and center i mean what well, you know can, can that work that approach
1: yeah we, i mean it's something that we're uh careful about because it on the one hand feedback needs to have the freedom to criticize um you know commercial actors supermarkets uh importers uh people like that who can cause food waste both at, in consumers' homes, depending on how they market their food, and also upstream, depending on their relationships with their suppliers, especially farmers. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, Toast eventually, hopefully, will be working with these types of, um, you know, businesses, perhaps, you know, selling in supermarkets, perhaps, you know, being sold by by entities that feedback does need to have a free hand to um, be really uh, unbiased and... Uh, be able to speak truth to power, um, so that's why toast has been set up as a separate entity outside of feedback, and it's sort of like one hundred percent of toast profits go to feedback, but as far as feedback is concerned, feedback can do whatever it wants mm. it doesn't need to think about uh, you know toast's commercial uh, viability
0: sure. And I, and I guess it gives you a, a, a different insight, doesn't it? Because you're, you're in the markets and you're, you're looking at uh, problems and challenges in a different, with a different lens. And that's certainly what, what Fairphone were, were telling us, is that you know, by entering into the market, by de- you know, developing their own projects, sourcing uh, the various kind of ingredients for mobile phone technology, they were able to have a much better understanding of, of the pressure points and the pain points and actually you know, do something Such- about it.
1: That's, that's such a good insight. And I think the Fairphone example is really similar. It's, you know, feedback as a campaigning organization is really, um, tied up in, in the issues of, you know, food economics. Mm. And it's really, really helpful, um, to get the insights and to be close to it, to be close to these decisions that are driven by, you know, uh, you know, pounds and pence, uh, to to be able to sort of have some some insight into what that's like on the other side is, is really really valuable
0: yeah i mean looking at your campaigning work and, and the history of that i mean what else needs to happen of course you know startups like like toast hour are proving a really good point uh and and you know in a piecemeal way i guess you're dealing with one form of food waste i mean it's a, such a huge problem and where, where to start well, what needs to happen
1: I think on supermarket size, there needs to be a lot more transparency. So measurement of food waste, and then public, you know, um, publicly, you know, uh, distributing the the results of their measurement of their mm-hmm. food waste, um, and not just in-store food waste, but also the food waste that supermarkets indirectly or directly cause when dealing with suppliers, either through their standards on shape or size or look of produce or by cancelling orders or by forcing suppliers to overproduce to meet potential last minute orders. Um, so there's piece of work there, big piece of work on transparency and measurement. And then as well for governments between countries and also even just within countries, again an issue of setting some goals and then transparently measuring those goals and seeing how the, the city or region or country is doing in meeting those those targets. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's, there's such an interesting debate to be had around the, you know, the relationship between buyer and, and, and supplier or customer and supplier in, in food, isn't there? I and mean, there's just so many kind of intricacies in that relationship that, that need to be solved because it, it doesn't seem to be working very well, does it?
1: Yeah, it's something where, at least on the food waste side, a lot of it is this issue of forecasting where... Uh, you know buyers want a free hand in uh, you know make last minute changes last minute orders last minute cancellations uh, and you know it would be really helpful if somehow suppliers could have more um, you know lead time yeah. <laughs> on those
0: yeah. Versions. That's exactly it. I mean, so obviously Toast Owl is keeping you all very, very busy. I just wonder whether there's other similar kind of, you know, initially project businesses that, that Feedback is interested in starting. Is there any other conversations? Obviously, if you've got a model now that, that perhaps could be replicated. Uh, any other had, ideas up your sleeves?
1: There's some really interesting conversations happening now with the Gleaning team. So the you know the Gleaning network that we have deals with so much. The Gleaning network that we have deals with so much fresh surplus fruit and veg they sometimes get a lot of apples so for cider is a possibility so there's a lot of different interesting food surplus entrepreneurship potentially even drinks based that uh the gleaning network is looking at
0: interesting well, I, I really look forward to seeing what you what you guys do next it's, thanks for telling us about toast Andrew. it's been really really interesting uh, it's a fascinating model it's it looks like a really interesting product too and i can't wait to have a have a taste of it uh, i'm in central london a bit later this week so i'll definitely seek out one of your stockists and uh, and grab a couple of bottles but we wish you all the best with it with the venture and whatever comes next off the back of feedback but thanks for joining us here on the better business show
1: thanks for having us on the show it's great to talk and I'd, we'd love to hear what you think of uh your toast.
0: Andrew Shine there from Toast Ale. If you're in London, have a look out for Toast Ale bottles. Plenty of stockists out there uh, that are really latching onto the product. Um, Yeah, see what you think, let me know. Uh, I never did get to London last week, uh, so I wasn't able to sample it, but we'll certainly do so soon. Um, You can find out more about Toast Ale by checking out the accompanying show notes for this episode, where we've posted the links to the business, and there's some images there of the products and of Andrew. Uh, so have a look at those you'll also find all the links to all the reference points from today's news roundup in those show notes so check those out as well so that's almost it for another week Uh, if you haven't already done so I urge you all to sign up to the Better Business Show newsletter just go to betterbusiness.show and you'll find a big box there at the top of that page give us your email address and you'll start getting that email from us with all the links to the latest episodes and any news that that we might have for you anyway thanks again for tuning in really love you being there we'll be back again next monday so until then goodbye